Hi there, and welcome back to the Urban Community Podcast, a place where we share stories of people and initiatives that are boldly and creatively making their cities more sustainable and more equitable. Today's episode is all about neighborhood visioning, through my conversation with a group that is turning traditional city planning on its head. We answer the question of what women, children, and fish have in common in cities and discover why great things come out of asking a group of men to step into the shoes of pregnant women, all with the aim of creating urban spaces that are suited for the diverse people and hedgehogs that inhabit them. My name is Sophia Silverton. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back in the studio, the virtual studio, that is. In the little square boxes on my screen, I have Tatiana and Honorata from Just Hood, who are making an interactive, gamified approach to neighborhood master planning with the goal of making these spaces more equitable and sustainable. So far, they've tried it out a few times on the ground in Katowice in Poland, and I can't wait to hear about what this means, what this looks like, um, what a master plan is. Good. So, hi, both of you. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Hello. So recently I heard you ask a group of people a very interesting question, and this was, what is common between children, fish, and women in cities? Could you answer this question yourself now? And Sophia, when you heard this question, did you have an answer in mind? Well, my first reaction that comes to mind is just that cities are not designed for these groups. Certainly not for fish, <laughs> but also for women and children either. Yes, for us it was actually a very personal question, and this is how we felt. Uh, because we come up with the idea of justhood between three of us, and we are three women, and we are all from different countries and different backgrounds. But when we started to work on the subject about designing cities and seeing the cities in a different way, uh, this is what we come up that This is a Polish saying, but I, I don't know if this saying is actually common in other countries, but we say that kids and fish, they don't have voice. And we also added women to this to this thing because we also feel like we don't have voice uh, when in the matter of designing cities. Uh, yeah, and uh, even though it's a it's a sort of funny question, but I think it's it was our starting point as and uh, as Honorata said that we all come from different backgrounds, and uh, I think it was the starting point for us to reflect on our values and our values as professionals in urban design but also as human beings as women as girls and uh, I remember when I started to think about this question like I grew up in a Central Asian country where the male values are very dominant until nowadays and I remember when I was um, like a teenager small small girl I was already back then started to question like the way I use the city and why I walk this way, but not this way, why I avoid certain places. So then you start, even without any professional background in urban field, you start to question why the places are designed in this way or have has ever anyone asked me how I want my neighborhood to be? 
And um, yeah, I think it was a, a good question to start with, to, to start our journey. Yeah, I think that's something that certainly captures people's attention. Now, your initiative, Justhood, is a community-based method to empower people to envision their future neighborhoods. So what's the elevator pitch you would give to others to describe this? Because it seems like, uh, yeah, it might need a little explanation what what this means. Uh, Okay, so... As you said, this is our methodology to uncover local knowledge, so to uncover the knowledge of inhabitants and to help map their visions uh, for their future equitable neighborhoods, and we do it with participatory futures. This methodology is done in three steps. It has three phases. First phase is where we define or we talk um, and we help the community to um, to show who is their leader and to mark who is the leader of the community. And together with the leader, we set some kind of lectures and workshops where we teach him on what it is a special equity. And um, and and also we get a reverse knowledge from him about the neighborhood that we are supposed to. Uh, do the workshop in and we are supposed to do the participatory process. Uh, After the first stage, uh, we go to the second stage where we do the actual workshop on the site. And these workshops are done in the form of a game. And the third stage is uh, where we actually produce a final product that is a tangible product where if if the, the project is done in the neighborhood, this product is a master plan, is a plan. Uh, that envisions uh, all the needs that they were set during the workshop. And with this tool, the community later on can go further to do another projects, can go further to look for funding, and they have some base for the future uh, interventions. And maybe a little bit more about uh, the workshop itself. Uh, so how we work with um, with the citizens, with local residents to uncover their knowledge. And uh, what actually they want to do in, uh, in the neighborhoods is that uh, we designed um, a very innovative method, let's say, for participatory workshops by combining different uh, disciplines, different fields of studies. So, of course, we the main the, the, the foundation itself is a master plan, master planning process. But the way we engage citizens is with the futures thinking and with the speculative thinking, with like what if questions. So we try to we try to find a, an interesting approach to engage them, because as we know, there are many participatory approaches are done, but um, citizens very often are not very willing to participate in them. So we were trying to look for for another way to engage people um, in a very more creative, funny way. And um, yeah, and I think this is the way to go for for participatory projects in general. What do you think are some of the benefits as well as drawbacks of gamifying the participatory visioning process? I mean, these workshops are quite unique sounding and I'm just wondering what the pros and cons might be of doing something (laughs) this cool, but potentially complicated. What do you think? 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the advantages could be that um, this process, like gamified process of designing together, I think it helps to approach complexity because, I mean, special equity is a complex uh, topic, let's say, because there are many different uh, groups living in the city. So it's a very, very multidimensional um, topic, let's say, if we want to work with it. So gamifying, it helps to, to approach this complexity and maybe to structure a bit to, to make it more accessible for, for, the, for the citizens to understand, to understand this complexity and this variety in, in, um, in cities and the neighborhoods. Then, of course, I think the gamification itself, it increases the um, social interaction, like engagement between, between the citizens and between the community leader and the residents. Um, so it can il- involve uh, as many stakeholders as as possible and um, it's also sort of a communication tool because as you said some people maybe some men they 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 never imagine how it is to be a pregnant woman or a woman with a kid so this sort of um, yeah it helps to to establish this communication understanding and empathy between them um, and of course the whole process it also creates it fosters creativity um, because it, it asks you to step out of the comfort zone of your thinking and to think of something else, maybe some really crazy ideas, but then it's also our job to translate them into the actionable input. Has it been difficult for any of your participants to take on a persona that is quite different from their own personal identity? Um, yeah, definitely. And this is what I mentioned with the men, the, um, trying to understand how it is to be a pregnant woman. And uh, for because in the beginning of the process, they just received a question. Uh, and uh, with pregnant women, it was, what if only pregnant women were living in the neighborhood? So first it asked them to imagine this scenario. And then in the first step for a lot of men, I mean, I remember that group, it was very difficult to, to imagine this scenario because they, they didn't know what, they, what the women need or where would they go. But then the second step is that they receive these persona cards with a clear explanation of the needs, characteristics, uh, what they like, what they don't like. So then it actually helped them to understand. But it, it is for sure that for people it's very hard to imagine what it is to be another person or with the person of other abilities. Uh, but, but at the same time, after this first, let's say, shock that... Uh, that people get with the question, they start to be very much intrigued and they really start to be inside the game. And this is when you, you know, for a moment you forget about your problems, you know, you forget about your struggles and you just become someone else without, let's say, any consequences. And this is when we start to see people also smiling, uh, people making jokes and just, just, this is when this, this knowledge is uncovered because also by getting to think on what are the needs of others, you start to realize, actually, this is also my need and I didn't think about it before. So after the workshopping process is done, you know, after maybe a group of men has has empathized and stepped into the shoes of, of pregnant women. What's the result from this? What what does a master plan look like? What what do you do with these these results that you've gotten? After the workshops, this master plan become this graphic representation that we use um, 
by representing the ideas in the form of icons, colors that are understandable for the inhabitants. So it has to be something that is the, uh, that is understandable. This is a democratization of the plants that are normally used in the governments, you know, where you see just zoning and rules and uh, special rules that we use or some even, you know, zone E1 slash free. <laughs> this is how normally you see uh, the plan. So um, <clears throat> this master plan becomes a graphic representation that is, some, that is a drawing that can be understood by everyone. And also whenever the budget gives us this, ability, this possibility, we place the master plan on the street on the poles, so it's a, a, a permanent uh, board that everyone can pass through and can see, and it's like a representation and visibility and advertisement. And maybe just to add shortly also, what is the advantage, let's say, of these master plans and the, the, the workshop process is that, uh, of course, there is so, many, so much input from the citizens about for different types of users, humans and also non-humans, as uh, yeah, we also mentioned quite a lot of time in one of the neighborhood, it was really funny how the woman designed the the route for the hedgehogs in uh, in her neighborhood. That she knew exactly where they walk, and then she designed it so normally you would never maybe think about these things. But thanks to thanks to really this creative process of uh, imagination, of playing together, of imagining different ideas. Uh, this kind of knowledge is uncovered, and I think for us is yeah the most precious uh, output of the whole process. I love the idea of a hedgehog root. It's just adorable. Are there some ideas that have come up during the course of the workshops that are concrete that you could share with us? Something that we could imagine being in place in in a neighborhood. The, no, I just remember in one of the neighborhood the. Um, the, the inhabitants, they decided to make uh, an alley, like uh, um, an alley in the park, dedicated to the history of this neighborhood. So they wanted to put the, um, uh, like the pictures and the, um, uh, the images of the people who were living in, the, in this neighborhood, who maybe, I don't remember, found this neighborhood. So to make it very informative, for other people outside of the neighborhood so that they could attract even tourists and people from other neighborhoods and other parts of the city to visit their, their neighborhood. And then they started to discuss a lot about the history of the neighborhood. So for me, it was just very interesting how, okay, it was a participatory workshop, but how it also ha can have this mo free moments, let's say, of just having discussion and reflecting about the history of your place where you live. And uh, we could also see how it united people in the way, because, you know, of course, they remember, oh, you remember this and that. So I think um, I think for us also, these small moments, they're very precious, as I said, uh, to to give a possibility to people to reflect about it. And also what the results or the outcome of this workshop is that we get usually much more insightful information than with the uh, with the participatory uh, workshops that we have done before this methodology. So for example, um, normally the outcome would be the information that there is a need of putting more benches in the neighborhood. And after our workshops, we, uh, we get the information where they need the benches and why they need in their, 
this place, for example, because they know that there is a shadow at this time of the year. We know that they want, for example, benches that are chairs, not only benches for few people, because they actually like to sit alone and read the book. So it's really just more, much more insightful information that we get from them. Uh, I remember the, the funny situation in one of the neighborhoods. There was a man who started to complain during the work, the participatory process. He started to complain that uh, he's a father of a young girl. Um, I don't remember how old she was, but uh, he complained that there was no bar for young fathers. So normally, if uh, normally moms walk with uh, with the strollers and kids, and they have uh, dedicated places, let's say in the parks or small cafes to sit down, but he really wanted to have a bar where he could uh, drink beer and maybe watch a football or something, but uh, while taking care or looking after his uh, his kid. So and uh, yeah, it, and he actually identified the location for this bar where he wanted it to be. So yeah, it was interesting, I think. Thank you for sharing those ideas. I think it will help our listeners imagine these types of neighborhoods that are being envisioned by people you're working with. So if I were to summarize what I've heard so far, you have engaged very meaningfully with the community, identifying leaders there, people who are quite engaged and passionate, and then you take them through this quite unique and fun way of imagining how their spaces, their neighborhoods could be different. And then out of it comes a map, this master plan. What's the next step after that? What happens to make this map, this vision, a reality? We will continue sort of merging these different disciplines of urban design, future studies, and anthropology, because also I'm, my background many, many years ago as anthropologist, and then, uh, yeah, now I sort of do urban anthropology and design. And uh, because I think we see a lot of potential going in these lines, so not only restricting ourselves to, to one vision, one worldview, let's say, how we work, but we are expanding how we can apply this methodology and method to different settings and different contexts and also different cultural and geographical backgrounds because we're also experimenting in different in different places in order to maximize the impact of what we are doing we need to spread the knowledge and we need to spread the the, the tools because of course if we created this methodology uh it's good but uh, we cannot be everywhere at the same time and speak every language and reach out to every community. That's why this platform is very, very uh, important. And uh, yeah, along with the free master master plans, uh, we also want to start this movement of like just neighborhood uh, around um, around the world. I'm personally quite excited to continue following your work because I find it so relevant to. A lot of what I do as well in the area of just transition and looking at culture as they yeah, connect to sustainable development in cities. So I will be following this closely. Thank you for this inspiration. As we wrap up, I would like to just give the floor to you to see if there's any final reflections or thoughts, inspirations that you would like to share with our listeners. 
no, I actually, actually, it's funny because, but um, a few days ago, I read a small story about, uh, I think she was Norwegian sociologist and uh, she was participating in the, in a conference after the Second World War uh, and it was a peace conference. Uh, and uh, she, I think just out of curiosity, I don't know, but she asked uh, those people who were participating a question like what the world would be without weapons. But I think it was just a very speculative question. But the funny thing is that no one knew the answer. Like no one could actually give her the, the proper answer. And then I read her article and she was saying that it was a very, it was a paradox that it was a conference about peace and about peace movement, but no one could give you a clear, give her a clear answer on what the world without weapons would look like. Uh, and uh, just then I started to think also about our project, about the justhood, what we do is that, uh, you know, around the world, we professionals, researchers, practitioners, we talk a lot about inclusive design, just, just transition. But then sometimes we don't dare to imagine maybe how actually it could look like, you know, just to free ourselves. Um, like what exactly, how exactly the institutions would work and how we would interact and what would we need, what we need. And um, if we don't think about it, then also the people, the public, they also don't think about it. So I think maybe we, as a message I could give that we just need to dare ask different questions, maybe different provocative questions and imagine very different realities. Um, because this is the only way that we can imagine different kinds of worlds and, uh, and strive for it you know i think uh our hidden goal as well is to to explain to people their their ownership on the in the city in the place where they live you know we are very aware everyone is very aware that they are owners of their own home unit whether it is an apartment i mean even if you are renting but let's say this is a space that you take care of and it's usually bordered by the walls of your room, of your home, uh, of your apartment, of your flat. And we really have to expand these boundaries. You know, we have to uh, explain to people that you are also the owner of the street that you step on when you go out from your home, of your neighborhood, of the school where your kids go uh, every day, you know, of the park that you are using. So we really have to give this knowledge also and promote urban design and special design and try to make everyone responsible of the space that we live in. Thank you both so much for being here today to talk with me, to share your thoughts, your experience, and for your passion that's helping to make cities better places to live for everyone. <laughs> even hedgehogs and, and a fish. Thank you, Sophia. We really need a podcast of, of these subjects. So great idea. We wish you uh, great speakers and great guests in the future. And hopefully we can visit you again with some other project or the next stage of Just Food and Urbanitarian. Thank you for having us, Sophia. Hi there, I'm back just for a minute. I wanted to mention that if you liked hearing about gender and city planning in this conversation with Tatiana and Honorata, uh, 
I recommend that you take a look at the most recent episode of another podcast called Local Voices for Sustainability. Its host, Laura, who's also one of my colleagues at ICLE Europe, sat down with a gender equity officer from a Swedish municipality to talk about the role that gender plays in creating a sustainable city. Again, this podcast is called Local Voices for Sustainability by ICLE Europe, and I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm.